You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Ben Balcom. Ben, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, hey, it's uh, good to be here. Ben, we're talking on October 27th in 2021. Uh, how has the, the last year been for for you in terms of you know, production and, and work as a as a filmmaker and there's many more things you do but yeah how is your creative sphere this last uh pandemic year affected yeah yeah thanks for asking um it's certainly been deeply challenging um and uh i mean the you know the beginning of the pandemic kind of started with like an interruption of a number of projects that I had intended to make, um, projects that now I'm not <laughs> necessarily disappointed have been interrupted. I think it was, a, it was a, you know, there was a lot of clarifying, um, I don't know, that happened in, in, that, in that time uh, of kind of foreclosure and, and pause. But um, yeah, I mean, the year was really hard. I, I, I have to say I, I have it. I feel, you know, I feel very lucky. Um, I have a, a, you know, a partner that I live with, and I occupy a duplex with two clo- with two other close friends, and have been able to be close to people and close to community, and I have a stable job. Um, so, you know, all things considered, it definitely could have been a lot worse. Um, but. Um, you know, for me, my version of that has been definitely like a kind of flailing about for trying to maintain creative <laughs> energies and and projects and figure out what I could work on in a time when um, my pra- my filmmaking practice had really shifted to be oriented around working with other people, um, made it much harder to be kind of stuck at home alone. And, uh, you know, a big part of the year... Um, saw me kind of redirecting my energies towards uh, political organizing and activism, um, stuff that I could try to make myself useful um, either at protests or um, doing work online. Since so much went virtual, I found I was able to tap into new kinds of activities to, to keep myself busy and feeling useful when I couldn't be um, making films. So let's talk a little bit about that. I want to get into the, the films and, and, and recent screenings, but um, but that sounds kind of like a like a little I don't want to say silver lining, but a little gem, a little Easter egg that something that happened that allowed you to get into a um, online and, and contribute in, an, in in a sense to a to activist um, protest. Can, can you tell me about one of those or or a little bit more? Yeah, about sure. It? It's really interesting. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really been a kind of uh, unexpected nesting doll, you know, of, um, of of opportunities to become more engaged. Um, um, so, you know, I was a member of Milwaukee's chapter of the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, um, though not the most engaged member of all time. I had done a couple of, uh, participated in a couple of local campaigns, uh, knocking on doors. I, I participated in DSA's, um, efforts to elect Bernie uh, in the in the past um, you know, two election cycles, um, but besides that, had kind of like it was a background um, 
kind of feature in my life. But um, after the uprising in the wake of the murder of George Floyd uh, and after attending protests physically, which was, which was challenging and scary to do during the, you know, this first summer of the pandemic, um, I, I tried to keep myself engaged in conversations and activities around abolition work um, and trying to just, as has happened in the past, like how to sustain the energy that might go into a single protest. As, as someone who I will admit, I'm not, I'm not the most, um, I'm not inclined to go to protests. That's, I wouldn't say that's like my, historically my uh, primary mode of, of political engagement. Um, and so when things through the DSA chapter all went virtual uh, and I realized I could be attending working group or committee meetings biweekly from home without having to hem and haw about, oh, well, how do I get to, to the, you know, central library uh, for this meeting or that meeting? Or, oh, do I really want to, do I have time to fit into, you know, I mean, they're bad excuses, but when, what one does when <laughs> trying to figure out how to um, parse one's free time out, um, it just felt so easy to kind of log on and I was stuck at home, so I needed something to do, and I wanted to stay engaged. So the, that was kind of the root of it, was like trying to maintain an engagement with um, just with like, you know, everything that issued from that summer and the, and the you know, tragic murder of George Floyd uh, and, and others, um, and, you know, just realizing like I had to kind of stay awake and stay active. And so that led me to being involved in DSA pretty consistently for, I mean, the, for the last year, um, you know, thanks to getting back into the, the swing of teaching in person, I, I now have like my, my energies have waned a little bit, but um, and sorry to keep going on, but the, the other kind of silver lining here is that, um, Engagement with DSA got me tapped into um, union organizing on campus, which is uh, which is like another just like offshoot and uh, has been a, a thing that's really important to me because I love the school I teach at. But um, you know, as is true of so many academic institutions, uh, all academic institutions could uh, benefit from more equitable uh, working conditions. So it's been exciting to get uh, involved in union organizing and that that all kind of happened organically um and thanks to you know ironically the um the virtual lives that we were forced to live for the last year yeah, yeah that's what's interesting to me right how that how that has changed our lives and I'm, I'm glad you went into that and how has that affected your your filmmaking or has it because that's a big chunk of time and a big shift in kind of interests and, and even ways of communicating with people. Has that affected your, your filmmaking or future projects? Sure. Um, I mean, for much of the last year, um, or, you know, let's say the, the year, like the time of real, like, lockdown quarantine, I, I, the, um, it really kind of just took over in a way that... Um, it felt good to be giving my energy to something very different from the kind of insulated concerns of like working on a small film project. But, you know, that said, the it, it did in a way, it, it kind of issued out of 
where my filmmaking was going, which um, was moving towards a more, you know, concerted interest. And it, through the research I was doing for some of my last few film projects, I was reading um, like classic works of utopian fiction, socialist theory, and you know, like Marxist theory. Um, you know, very broadly uh, as a category. Um, yeah. So the the work itself had sort of already started to become <clears throat> a testing ground for more explicitly political ideas. So then this felt like a, a, a moment for me to test my, like, resolve and my ability to live those ideals pragmatically uh, directly in my life and and have different kinds of conversations and um, I you know it I wouldn't say it's directly folded back into the film work but um, it just like continues to be a, I continue to be interested in like sustaining a kind of alignment between what I'm doing creatively and what I'm doing <clears throat> in terms of like community organizing um, Right, I like it's that. something that, I don't know, even 10 years ago as an artist or filmmaker, I wouldn't have expected to have. Happened. Right, well, this, yeah, that, that, it makes sense. We are at a kind of turning point in so many ways. Um, so you've been, you've been screening your films. Uh, it, I know recently, but also throughout the pandemic, that's also changed, hasn't it? The way typically yeah. films get screened at festivals, uh, now there seems to be, a, well, there was a shift to online and now a hybrid form. Um, yeah, do you want to mm -hmm. talk about a recent screening like that so we could talk about the, the film a little bit and also that this kind of new process uh, of, of screenings, which are now uh, virtual as, as well as in person? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it has been a real, it has instilled a real, a, a particular or like personal sense of loss um, for the last year and a half. I mean, just before the pandemic, I was, um, you know, poised to visit um, the European Media Arts Festival with a film, and that would have been my first time ever <clears throat> traveling to Europe to screen uh, my work and, you know, and and traveling to, to a festival that I've long admired and I'm really proud to have screened at it a couple times. And having that... And other, you know, screening opportunities foreclosed really was an intense, intense um, loss and has, has really resonated um, in ways that <clears throat> I think sometimes I take for granted. But um, certainly the, the fact that the, the work could still have a life um, throughout the quarantine was was remarkable and what's Im deeply impressive is how people were able to um, conjure up resources that probably barely existed prior to the quarantine or to the pandemic, um, that there were really special efforts at sharing resources. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Images Festival. Um, I, I think did it, it, it kind of like a, an entire resource dump of like what they had done on their back end in terms of like sharing out with other artists, organizations, festivals, et cetera, just like here's how we launched our 
our festival live virtually and you know like spread the word here's here's how you can do it too um, and uh, you know I have friends who uh, all over the country varying <clears throat> degrees of you know involvement directly with either attending festivals or living in cities that may or may not have you know micro cinemas or repertory cinemas um, and speaking with a lot of people it's like a, there was a, a real boon you know, it was a moment of in, intensified exposure for some of this work in, in some respect. Um, and I, I am a person who really values um, accessibility when it comes to this kind of artwork. Like, I don't, I don't enjoy seeing films get, um, like, embargoed in the art world. Uh, I like the idea that experimental cinema should, like, you know, to some extent, like mainstream cinema, have a place in people's lives and should be readily accessible. Um, and so, you know, there was kind of a marked increase in that kind of access. Um, the flip side of that is, for me, the value of this cinema, this kind of making making moving images, is all about being present in theaters uh, or small screening rooms or or galleries in some instances with people and uh, committing the kind of attention that the work often demands, and I, you know, I have a pretty high tolerance for strange and unique forms of cinema, even at home. But I, I will admit that even I really struggled to keep up um, or to watch as much as what you know was available, made available by the strange conditions of virtual festival going. Um, so it was a really hard year. I mean, I. I probably could have seen a lot more and stayed much more um, up to speed with the cool stuff being made by people. And uh, even, you know, I, this is an, an inelegant, or kind of like um, a guilty admission, but even some of the festivals I attended, I found it hard to watch in, in their entirety, um, which is, I think, a side effect of being stuck staring at my laptop and stuck indoors at home and feeling variously like <laughs> deeply um, scared about where the world was going and or depressed and just feeling lonely. So, you know, it, it's a curious cocktail of experiences and um, I'm grateful for the opportunities to, to do virtual Q and A's and to speak about my films uh, and to, to keep feeling like there wasn't a total, um, foreclosure, you know, of what I was making, um, that I could still connect with people and reach out and share what I was doing. But uh, it, was a, it was a hard, hard thing to parse out, uh, you know, I will admit. And was there a film of yours that was screened that, that, that really uh, felt different in this context and, and even communicated something differently because of the, the different kind of attention that it was getting? Yeah, um, I would say like one, I mean, one film in particular um, so I had two films that kind of entered the festival circuit um, during the pandemic, um, a film called Garden City Beautiful and uh, the sort of loose follow-up to that film called News from Nowhere. Um, and uh, Garden City Beautiful is like a, it's a part portrait of Milwaukee, part speculative um, fiction about a, a, a utopian um, post-capitalist city, um, but some of the things and the the film itself is is the the text that is performed in that film is entirely adapted from 
uh, a, a late 19th century, early 20th century sewer socialist from Milwaukee named Victor Berger, and he wrote this kind of fictive portrait of Milwaukee. Um, and in, in it, he describes like the transition from capitalism to whatever followed um, as being largely enacted through giant, uh, large-scale riots and protests. And, um, and in a way, you know, I never would have expected that film to have the kind of resonance that I think for some it did, the kind of like feeling of catastrophic change leading towards good um you know not to to Mm. suggest by any means that we've gotten to the good but um the just the the way that i i didn't see or anticipate the film's like backdrop of um you know cataclysmic uprising felt really oddly resonant um and then i mean the following film which also in large part is about adapting a kind of playful utopian text in this, in the, in the latter case for news from nowhere, it's adapting the poetry of Bernadette Mayer. Um, I think it kind of had a, an appropriately ethereal political feeling uh, or like a kind of a feeling of exhaustion leading into a kind of pleasure and joy or, or delirium that maybe felt right for the, for the pandemic. But um, that film, I would say, I mean, both of these films are ones that I really wish I had had the opportunity to screen in theaters with people um, because they were, yeah, very, very formally um, motivated. And, and especially when I'm making stuff that's like really invested in what the camera can do. It's like, you want to be, seeing that stuff on a, on a big screen, you know? So that was, right. there are works that I'm glad we're screening around during these times, but um, also it was, yeah, it was a sad, it was sad to have them kind of relegated to the, to people's computer screens. And, and how does that um, also frame Microlights, which I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, yeah, yeah. which is a, a screening series based in, in Milwaukee. Um, which you founded. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, cause it's been going for a while, right? Since 2013. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that and what happened to it in the pandemic year. Yeah. Um, like you, like you said, I mean, started in 2013, we've been lucky enough to host, um, I mean, like, like almost 60 artists over the, over that time from around the world. Um, and it's it's been a, a deeply, excuse me, important part of my life here in Milwaukee. And I don't know, like I mentioned earlier, an extension of what I really believe about, you know, believe to be most essential to cinema is, is the is the potential to bring people together into spaces and sit close in in rooms and share experiences, and then and then have artists present and talk, you know, be able to talk with and visit with them afterwards. Um, so, you know, Microlights, um, uh, which I currently co-curate with Jesse McLean, um, really remarkable film video artist and colleague here at UWM, um, we just really didn't think that it was necessary or appropriate to the spirit of the project to try to um, 
jump on the virtual bandwagon, and I don't mean to sound judgmental. Again, I'm really grateful that so many institutions made the, the, made the lift, the heavy lift of making that happen. Um, but what we do and what makes, I think, Microlights so special is more than anything, even maybe more than the programming itself, is just the fact of the, the small and committed community that shows up and, 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 and makes it all about presence. And um, we, I just, there, I had no feeling of like, no compulsion towards doing stuff online. And it felt already like there was a, you know, an abundance of things happening, an, an abundance of, you know, formal institutionalized screenings, but also there was a massive wave of people, you know, artists, Oh, like freeing their links and making their their links public, and there's just so much to watch, uh, and it just felt like um, I don't I don't think we knew how to differentiate what we would be sharing online and how it wouldn't just be kind of like adding noise to the air or something. So we're you know we remain currently on hold, which is is sad. Um, and I uh, as you know I teach at the university and as new uh, like cohorts of graduate students come through, everyone kind of asks, like, well, what's up with microlights? It's, you know, I'm proud that it, it has that place in the cultural landscape here where people know about it and they come to Milwaukee and have heard about it and they want to know what's next. And, um, uh, you know, we, we will come back uh, soon. And I think we've, you know, Jesse and I have both just been kind of like parsing out our own personal comfort and the trying to get a read on the, you know, the, the cultural comforts around like vaccine requirements and vaccinations in general. And the, you know, you know, the Delta variant wave was pretty scary and made things seem like they were going to get, you know, really off track again. So it's been a, it's been a slow process of kind of feeling it out. Um, but we'll definitely well, it, it, be back. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's kind of, uh, you know, the, I'm glad you, we kind of talked about that because it makes sense that it's, it's, it's also about, as you're saying, the gathering, the people, the intimacy, something yeah. That, that, yeah, with all the things you just said is a little harder to navigate now, but, but right, just putting it online, it, it, it kind of shows off, I think, that it's, that it's this social experience, um, not, not, not yeah. only you know, an aesthetic one, but there's there, there, perhaps almost dominantly it's, it's a social experience. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the, the kind of work, you know, that, that I make and that, you know, generally or kind of by association we're discussing is like, it's, it's a physical experience. It's a, it's a, yeah, I don't, like experimental cinema engages the body in particular ways, and I just think um, is invested inherently in a kind of social community experience. And yeah, there's I think there's no substitute for that, and for how much the work works in physical spaces. And yeah, I I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it was necessary to force it. Well, Ben, it's great talking to you about this, and um, I look forward to that coming back and, and, and all of these things, but it's interesting that we've talked about what this kind of transition or challenge has, you know, has brought about in some ways. I, I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? Sure, yeah, great question. Um, well, I've just 
completed. Uh, I, I, I just read Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars trilogy, um, uh, and it, uh, totally blown away by uh, all three of those books. But in, in particular, I said there's Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. It's a um, for those who aren't familiar, it's a, a now kind of classic work of science, political science fiction in which uh, he envisions people, uh, you know, uh, a first generation of people colonizing and beginning to terraform Mars. But really, the trilogy is all about uh, how to enact, like, um, radical political reinvention. You know, what does it mean? What would it look like to try to create a a colony of uh, a kind of utopian socialist or anarchist colony on Mars. And it, it, it's, you know, in a way, just like a stage for him to talk through many ideas he has about the, at times, banal and at times poetic and beautiful um, realities of political reorganizing and organizing. Uh, and uh, just a totally astounding read. Uh, and then I've actually, I'm now back, uh, to reading some poetry. Um, I'm reading a book called Show by Douglas Kearney, um, who's a poet who has a really remarkable performative um, and musical uh, sensibility, and, and also much of his poetry is kind of written in a sort of like graphic way where like text exists on top of text and there's collage and, 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 and language um, kind of uh, uh, sculpted uh, onto the page. Um, so yeah, th that's that's what's on my uh, bookshelf right now. Um, thanks for asking. Well, thanks for telling me about that. Both of those sound sound, sound fascinating, or, or all four of those. Ben, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. Wish you well with uh, your future projects, films, and and microlights. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.